You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to be saved. Would you please join me for a word of prayer? Blessed Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that in your goodness you have bequeathed to us your word through the inspired authors of the Holy Scriptures and the Spirit you gave them. You made sure that nothing was lost that needed to be preserved and nothing spoken that should not be spoken. Strengthen and bless us in our faith now. Let your word take deep root in us and grow to full flower that we may glorify you with our lives as well as our praises. This we ask in your precious name, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Well, by the time we reach this teaching in 1 Corinthians, as we reach towards the conclusion of the letter, St. Paul has had to lower the boom on the church in Corinth, has had to Tell them the many ways they are completely out of line. We forget this because we go to weddings and we hear 1 Corinthians 13 and we hear that love is patient, love is kind, and we forget that he's telling them they're not loving. (laughs) He's had to excoriate them for sexual immorality. He's had to tell them how they've dishonored Christ himself as they come to his table of grace making distinctions among themselves. Oh, the rich go before the poor. And by the way, we let the poor sit over there and the rich sit over here. So, when he gets to them talking about spiritual bodies and how we're resurrected, he's kind of just adding icing to the cake saying, what do you think you're talking about? You haven't gotten the basics down and you're going to do sophisticated high theology? (laughs) You're speculating about what's ridiculous to speculate about. And you're ignoring the things that are plain. We do not study the Holy Scriptures so we can accumulate lots of facts for our little drawer so we can pull them out when we play Trivial Pursuit. We study the Holy Scriptures because they testify to us about the nature and character of God and help us learn His will for our lives, which is better than anything we could come up with for ourselves. Jesus' words in today's Gospel are very practical and very concrete and very difficult to live if you've ever tried. (laughs) Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. (laughs) Are you kidding me? But we are called by Jesus Not just to hear of His forgiveness and love, but to learn of His will for our lives. 
because he desires us to have a kind of life that is extraordinary, not like the life that this world would teach us to live, but rather the life of the kingdom of heaven. And so, with struggles and with difficulties and needing that forgiveness for failure and sin, we enter into obedience to his word. Because in that obedience, we will find life. See, the thing about life is it's not something you can collect. You have to live it. You have to get into the mix and do the things that it requires. You can't dance by learning about dancing, by watching other people dance. You can only dance by dancing. And we are called into the great divine dance of kingdom life. And no one's experience illustrates this better, I think, than the experience of Danny Croce. Danny, as he lay in the thin bunk in the sallow lights of the county prison, was caught in hell. Because over and over and over again in his mind were replayed the incidents of the night that landed him in jail. He remembered the rain as he was driving home from the bar. He remembered the headlamps of the truck facing into his windshield. He remembered veering to the right and hitting something and the car shooting up into the air and beginning to flip over. And everything was black. He couldn't see anything through the windshield. But he heard the rending of the metal of his car. And when the car finally slid to a stop, the windshield cleared. And he climbed out and he, he, he looked around and he discovered that the reason why he hadn't been able to see anything out of his windshield was the crumpled form of a man in a long black raincoat who'd been stretched across his windshield. And he said, what happened to that guy? And they said, you hit him. You dragged him 30 yards. And he looked, and it was Officer John Gilbert who he played pool with. Who teased him because he needed to stay in shape because he used to be a professional boxer before he became a steel worker. And over and over again, he would without bidding he just he couldn't stop it from playing again and again and again and as soon as he get to the end and looking at John's body and thinking about John's wife and two children at a dining room table with an empty chair he'd go back to the beginning and make the turn and the truck lamps would approach him and he, he'd just go through it again and again and again and he couldn't sleep he could barely eat he was a complete mess he wanted to tell John's widow Jeannie how sorry he was but the lawyers told him he couldn't talk to her before the sentencing. And he hadn't seen her before going into the prison. It was as they went out onto a work detail. He was in for vehicular homicide in an 18-month uh, sentence. It was as he went out to a work... They, he went out, they went out to work in the field and as they started to get to the end of the day, the whistle blew for the men to come in and a big guy named O'Brien stepped in front of him. Brian was 
big with massive shoulders, big arms, a thick chest. He looked at him and he said, get out of my way. He says, I'm in your way, you little puke. You're a tough guy when you got a car. You're a killer. How do you think you are now? Danny knew he'd need to use his fists in prison. He just was surprised at how soon. O'Brien took a roar and charged at him and it was obvious that he relied on his size for fighting because he was nothing like a professional. He had, Danny had plenty of time to think about how to react as a professional boxer. He didn't want to extend his time in prison so he wanted to stop this guy without marking him up too much so he did the requisite block and then took three quick hits to, the, to his midriff. Guy's face drained a little but it wasn't enough to stop him. He hauled off and took another swing and after blocking that one, two quick hits to the face and he fell like a slab of concrete without even bouncing. The rest of the prisoners who had circled around them when they realized the guards weren't looking suddenly crowded in closer and he thought he was going to have to fight them all till he realized that they were actually forming a wall so the guards couldn't see what was going on and they were pushing him over to a spigot where he could wash the blood off his hands. He'd won the fight fair and square by prison rules. When they lined up for the head count and O'Brien was passed out over where he'd been knocked out, they said, where's O'Brien? Someone else in the line said, oh, he's over there sleeping. The guard said, lazy Mick. Everyone laughed falsely. This established Danny's reputation in the prison. No one was going to mess with him. But it didn't bring him peace. The nights were still horrible and every day was a fog as he dealt with progressive lack of sleep. About three months into his time in the county jail, a guy named John Dunn came into his cell and said... Hey, you want to come down? We're having a vehicular homicide group. He said, what is that, like an AA group? He said, yeah, kind of. He said, for every hour you spend down there, you get a day off your sentence. I guess I'll be there. He wasn't pleased to see Dunn, because Dunn was known as the holy roller of the block. But he did go down to the, the group. At the end of the group, a guy, not Dunn, another guy in the group, who with hair down to his waist, looked like he'd been in there since 1968. Came up to him and asked him if he'd ever prayed to God. And he said, well, not since I was a kid. But that night, as the nightmarish visions assaulted him again, in desperation, he just said, God, please, can I sleep? And the next thing he knew, it was morning. The insomnia came back and a couple days later he tried it again and the same thing, he fell asleep. As soon as he asked God, it was morning. So that that Sunday when the guard yelled, who wants to go down to chapel? He said, cell 16. He went down and he sat through the service not remembering or hearing much of what was said. But he went and talked to the guy who had given him the, the Bible, or who had given him the advice, and he said, do you have a Bible? And he said, yeah, you can borrow mine here. 
took it back and started reading through the Gospel of John and he liked what he read. He liked this Jesus guy. This guy was like him. He was tough. He never backed down. He always spoke his mind. He always gave it to people straight. But unlike him, he never raised his fists. And as he read became more impressed with Jesus and more affected by the power of his words, he started to realize that he was more scared of this guy who never raised his fists than anyone he'd ever faced in the ring or at any bar. And he came back to the chapel in the next week and he said, hey, um, I was reading through this and it talks here about being cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is that hell? chaplain said, yeah. And he knew that because that's exactly what he experienced every night on his bunk. He said, I'm in trouble. Chaplain, what do I do? He said, go back to your cell, get on your knees, tell God what you're sorry for, and ask Jesus to forgive you. And that's what he did. And the next morning, he woke up for the first time in a year and a half with an appetite. He started to walk the block confidently as he learned from God's Word and from the chaplain and from other prisoners who were following God how to be a Christian. He started to have a confidence and a sort of swagger in his walk. And then came the day that Squeaky came onto the block. Squeaky was just a 19-year-old kid. He was in for writing bad checks. He was the original 98-pound weakling, scared to death to be where he was. Sunday morning, as they were out in the yard enjoying a little wreck time before ch the chapel, another new guy, not a big guy, but bigger than Squeaky, a little bit muscled up, felt like he needed to establish his position, was pushing Squeaky around. Squeaky kept ducking and was just holding on to the part where it hurt. And the old feelings rose up in Danny. And Danny got in the middle and he said, Hey, you want to fight someone? You fight someone who knows how. He says, This little punk was looking at me like a queer. Hey, I said, You want to fight someone? You fight someone who knows how. He says, What, is he your whore? I'll take you out too. Guy took a swing at him faster than he expected. It was a good left jab. He got his block up, but still cuffed the side of his head. But then the guy backed up. He took another swing and backed up. And he said, this is not a professional fighter. But all the old anger and the rage came back for a moment. Three quick hits to the midriff, two to his face, and the guy went down, bleeding all over the place. And then the bell, the whistle was blown for chapel. And then he went to worship. And for the first time in months, the words of the sermon didn't hold his attention. For the first time in months, he wasn't in sync with the grace he knew he was, had been given in Jesus Christ. And he walked up to the chaplain at the end of the service and he asked him, he said, what do I do? He told the whole story. And he said, well, you know what you're going to do. You know what you have to do. You have to go down to that guy's cell and you have to apologize to him for what you did. 
Love your enemies. Pray for your persecutors. Do good to those who do you evil. This was the hardest walk he'd done since coming to Christ. But he went to the man's cell and he said, Look, you shouldn't have been, you shouldn't have been picking on Squeaky. He wasn't looking at you at all. He was looking at the ground. It's all he ever looks at. He's scared to death. But I shouldn't have messed you up like I did. I'm a professional. And I'm sorry. He said, you know, you got a hit on me. That'll establish your reputation on the block. You don't need to go after Squeaky anymore. I'm the tough guy. If you can get a hit in on me, you're good. Are we good? Guy looked at him and said, yeah, I guess we're good. That moment, he walked out He went back to his own cell and looked out over the yard through the bars and he said for the first time, for the first time he felt free. Not simply the freedom that comes from knowing your past sins are forgiven, but the freedom that comes from knowing you're walking with the Lord who has forgiven you and claimed you for His own. He reflected on this story ten years later when he stood between two locked doors in the same prison. The entrance room where they close one gate behind you that leads to the free world and open the gate in front of you that leads to the prison. Both doors had come down and were locked and the voice through the speaker said, Who are you? He said, I'm the new chaplain for the prison here. After serving his term, he'd gotten a scholarship for former offenders, had gone to Wheaton College and gotten his undergraduate and then on for his Master of Divinity and become a pastor. And he had come back to the prison where he had first come to know Jesus to minister to those inside who were trying to learn to walk with him or didn't yet know him. He knew that the door that had just closed behind him led out to the purported freedom of the world and everything that the world offers. And he knew that ahead of him were bars and people in chains where he had first experienced real freedom, the freedom of walking with Christ. And he knew what his choice was. See, we are called not just to the forgiveness of our sins, and some future eternal life, but to begin to know the life of the kingdom here and by living in it, to share it with others. This is why one prayer prayed is better than a thousand books read on prayer. One attempt at conquering the ways of the world that are in our heart, even when we fail, that attempt is better than knowing all the books of Scripture but not obeying one word. We are called to a life where we know God and His character and we're learning to live in His will for us here because that is the way that we will be blessed 
with abundant life and that we will begin to bless those around us and give glory to our God through the same. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, we do thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of the scriptures. We thank you for the gift of those who mentor us and help us as we learn what they mean. And we ask, O oh Lord, for the blessing and power of your Holy Spirit that we may begin not just to know those scriptures but to live out of them. Grant us strength in the battles within our hearts. Grant us strength in our battles with the world. Help us, O Lord. For we know what you came to do. Help us to love our enemies as you have loved us who were once your enemies. And to so show forth your love and glory. This we ask in your precious name, Jesus, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best heart in the day and the Keep your sleeping, thy presence, my life.